right. Well, this morning we are going to kind of just take a comfortable walk through the Lord's Prayer. It's uh, a prayer that everyone is familiar with and um, has likely said uh, innumerable times. Uh, sometimes when we memorize something and we say it so often and we do it in almost a ritual style, uh, we can... Uh, we can kind of gloss over and uh, fail to see its uh, its significance, the, the significance of each spot. So we're just, I'm going to really need a lot of participation from you guys. I figured since this is uh, something you're all really familiar with, that you would all have um, <clears throat> insights or ideas or at least assumptions that you've made about the prayer that you can we can share together and kind of talk through um, our understanding and what it means to us. So I'll need a lot of help from everybody here to make this uh Interesting conversation. <laughs> I uh, I listened to an audiobook by N.T. Wright um, called The Lord and His Prayer, and I took a lot of notes, and so a lot of what I'll have to offer today are really just notes from that book <clears throat> and uh, his perspective on the different clauses of the Lord's Prayer. So in my slides, I have a, I, I basically made my slides by listening to his book, and um I tried to italicize anything that was basically word for word. Now, I was listening to the audiobook, so I probably didn't get his quotes identically correct, but anything that was like basically N.C. Wright's words, I, I put in italics. Uh, just so you guys don't think that I've become some sort of Catholic scholar all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, I am going to read to you uh, the Lord's Prayer as it is recorded in Matthew. I'm going to start. Uh, Several verses ahead. So this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, this is the words of Jesus. Do not be like uh, do not be like the hip, the hypocrites? Hypocrites? Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Oh, I just did like a Yosemite kind of thing. <laughs> the hypocrites. <laughs> Sorry. I'll keep the local jokes down. Um, I'm going to start over. <laughs> Yikes. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. I have more compassion for Trump now. He was just reading something that he hadn't <laughs> read. And he's like, is that how you spell it? King James says pagan. <laughs> Yikes. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will, will reward you. And when you pray, do not think. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This prayer also shows up in Luke's Gospel. I spent a little bit of time trying to figure out if these are recordings of the same instance or whether Jesus taught the, the prayer in two different times. And it wasn't clear, but most people think that it was two different times. Um, 
So this is Luke chapter 11. Um, it starts at the first verse. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. You guys will notice there is a little bit of difference between those. Luke's is like, uh, is uh, just the, it's the short and sweet version. And uh, Matthew just goes into it a little bit more. Um, they both have the same message. All right. I guess let's just start out by I'm curious for you guys the Lord's Prayer what what has it been for you in your Christian faith what 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 part has the Lord's Prayer played sometimes just the amount of time you spend prayer can be like this this goal of extra holiness um, and Jesus was talking about not praying like the pagans, not battling on but a simple way to pray that was short and uh, not about a show or a, or a mark of holiness this could be mark of holiness anybody else? Started early and like 
before, you know, I went to bed every night, I would say the Lord's Prayer. And then every church service of that denomination I went to, we always said it. It was just like, that's the one, that's the one. And I remember there was one point where I, I told my mom, I was like, if I ever, because I said it at nighttime, you know, before I went to bed, like, if I have to say this for, like, the pastor to be confirmed, I'm, I'm worried I might, like, yawn too many times or fall asleep <laughs> or something, and it's because it, it was like, say the prayer, goes like, yeah, for me. But I, de- I never truly learned then what each sentence meant and, like, the Hebrew wording behind it and the significance and stuff like that. I just had to memorize it. I uh, wasn't church early on in my young childhood, and I remember um, uh, my first experience with the Lord's Prayer was actually at uh, a neighbor's house. My dad had a factory job, and uh, a neighbor that was, uh, I'm talking neighbor, was like probably six or seven miles away, um, worked at the factory with him, and my dad was interested in keeping bees. This is too much information, but... Um, her husband kept bees, and so we became friends with them. My parents stayed home a lot and didn't have a lot of friends, and we didn't go out a lot. So this was unique to go to someone else's house, and um, they had, uh, like, this cool little house built into the side of the hill, and on uh, the second level, which was actually, like, even with the ground on the upside of the hill, had a piano up there. And uh, Edith Hawkins was the lady's name, and she would let me go up there and just, like, pound on that piano all I wanted and that was just like such a gift to me to be able to have access to a piano and not have someone tell me to stop being so loud which is weird because I never learned to play the piano but I was really drawn to it as a kid and on her piano was a framed um, Lord's Prayer and I didn't know the Lord's Prayer Um, maybe I knew that it was in the Bible and I knew that it was special in some way I was probably like I was reading so you know I was probably like six or something and I can remember vividly sitting there and deciding that I wanted to memorize this prayer. And I sat there and memorized the prayer, and that's where I learned the Lord's Prayer. Like alone in Edith Hawkins upstairs. Um, so I kind of have a special memory with that. And then I was raised Catholic later on. We joined, uh, we rejoined the Catholic Church. My parents were both Catholic as children, and then oh, I was confirmed in the Catholic Church. And in the Catholic, uh, in the Mass, uh, there's a place where everyone says the Lord's Prayer and it's the only time during Mass where everyone holds hands. So um, you hold hands even like across even across pews. Like the whole church is holding hands and you say the Lord's Prayer together. Which is um, uh, of course I don't attend Mass anymore but um, that was always I found really powerful. Uh, so that's my experience with the Lord's Prayer. Um, I guess I've already asked you what it means to you. Uh does any, has everyone, anyone ever thought of the Lord's Prayer as like a formula for praying? It, it, it has sort of a, a formulaic uh, aspect of it. And it's kind of odd because you don't think of Jesus teaching us kind of formula and ritual. But it can be seen that way, though I don't actually think it was meant that way. So I was curious if anybody has ever like tried to basically pray the Lord's Prayer with general in their own words. That's how, like, I was taught in church growing up that these are, like, the different steps of what you should pray. The different, yeah, so the clauses are not just to be repeated, but this is, like, 
now we're in this kind of space and we're going to pray about these things and now yeah. we move on to the next yeah it's like first you you acknowledge who god is and then you pray for your needs and then you pray for forgiveness and try to forgive others like those are like the steps that you should go through So, the disciples uh, specifically asked Jesus how to pray. Um, so I'm going to ask this question. This is, this is going to take some thought. But what do you think Jesus' intent was in teaching his disciples to pray in this way with these words? Steve has already kind of answered what he thinks. Anybody have any idea about what they think the intent was? I think the brevity of it was intentional um, to just, you know, I, I feel like he was just cutting through, you know, they, they were trying to take something and hoping to make it real complicated and that's my, that's the way I read it is that you know, they, they wanted to turn prayer into some kind of a thing and he just kind of almost off the cuff kind of said, oh, here's how you pray, and just, just very, very simple, you know, almost like a Cliff Notes version. Um, so, yeah, I think there was a, probably a lot to how brief it was and the types of topics he said that you should use, and just very simple. Yeah, I like that perspective. Amy? Uh, praying is uh, mostly internalized, and this is unifying and uh, 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 bonding as uh, one group, especially with the congregations that says it all together and holds hands. Uh, you know, the, the the power with that is something that does, you know, does, does feed your spirit besides your internal uh, prayer and worship. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I think it could be easily argued that to memorize it and to like just say it with the cadence of a group could lose the, um, you could lose the the importance of the prayer, but I actually, my memories of saying the Lord's Prayer in big groups with Hansel is really powerful. So having that experience it helps me, lead me away from, from making that argument. Um, my, my gut tells me, um, if you're asking what Jesus did was for his disciples, okay, so if you, if you take it in, I think, in the context of what's going on at the time, it's all about Israel wanting to roam out. And so the prayers that people were probably doing was, you know, get, get Rome out of here so we can be, you know, the power like we were back with David and everything. And, and Jesus is saying that he's teaching basically how to do life today. And it, it's, not, it's not about that. It's about, you know, just having enough to get through each day. Um, there's a, the RSV, um, has a little different thing. Um, um, there's a, a, a guy, his name is David Bentley Hart. He's actually retranslated. He has a repeat. He did his translation of the New Testament. And he says this prayer is actually a prayer for poor people. And, and if you, and the, NR, the NRFD says, says all the normal stuff. And it says, it gets the part about forgive us our debts 
Also, as we have forgiven our debtors and did not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one, that that is about people who owe money who can't pay back, and they and they they want to do, they don't want to get sued and get thrown in jail, and the evil one is the is the is the, the guy who went, went the money, mm -hmm. and so um, and. But I think I really think Jesus' intent is that he's trying to really teach poor people that God does love them and that he's on their side. Because the belief has always been, it still kind of is with some people, that uh, the more money you have, the more power you have, the more you're blessed. And the less you have, the less you're blessed. And I think Jesus is really trying to hammer home that that's not the case. Yeah. You, you, uh, you remind me... Uh... I think one of the teaching series uh, that the church that our church has done when Brandon was teaching that power over versus power under. I don't know if you guys were there. That uh, that made me think of that. How how God's way is the power under. So this is a quote, or at least almost a quote, what I wrote down when I was listening um, from N.T. Wright. It says, when Jesus gave his disciples this prayer, he was giving them part of his own breath, his own life, his own prayer. The prayer is actually a distillation of his own sense of vocation, his own understanding of his father's purposes. If we're truly to enter into it and make it our own, it can only be if we first understand how he set about living the kingdom himself. So interestingly, and she right, and I I guess I had always thought the father or the Lord's Prayer was definitely something that Jesus gave to us for us to say. Um, and it was the right way for us to relate and pray to God. But um, she Wright was, uh, he's really convinced that this was really the way that Jesus would pray and how Jesus understood his vocation, uh, what his job was, and uh, what the kingdom was all about. So uh, basically he, over and over in his book, talks about how saying this prayer is to, to basically uh, to make yourself an apprentice as Jesus was an apprentice to um, God, an apprentice child, and to really uh, to boldly step in line with Jesus's uh, purposes and vocation. All right, we're going to start out kind of going through the clauses. The very first one, we're basically going to get to the second word. Jesus says in, uh, in, um, Matthew's gospel says, my father, in Luke's it just says father, my father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I was going to actually, I'm going to go all the way here. Father. I'm curious, do you guys call God father when you pray outside of the Lord's prayer? anybody? I think it's common for me. Yeah, I, I try not to. <laughs> Do you have a purpose for trying not to? Because I, I don't think God has um, genitalia that makes him a male. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I think to say father is, is it's to take away some of the attributes that God has that's kind of motherly, that are motherly. Um, I, I really try really hard not to use him and he anymore just because of, of that. And, and, and when I do say it, it's kind of like, you know. Um, um, but I mean, I always did say father because that's basically what I was told. And But I just I just say Lord 
Yeah, it is. Because I'm also kind of afraid if I, I love my dad to death, right? But he has his, he's had his faults. And I, and I know God is above that fatherly standard that I have. So I, I think it's, it's best for me to call him Lord. That way I, I never get confused on the whole thing. I know what N.T. Wright is saying about just the intimacy and all that kind of thing, but I, I, I need God to be a little more than that. So I say, I say Lord. And I and I say Lord too, but I did take some time to kind of uh, to personally reflect on why, when Jesus Himself instructed us to call God Father, that for the most part we don't. Um, I think culturally, you you brought it up just the. Cultural sensitivity in churches to uh, using the word father and how uh, difficult relationships or abusive relationships with fathers that could be projected or that could be hurtful. Um, I was listening to the podcast that the the narrative the working preacher people do and they talked about that a little bit and they challenged us uh, to uh, basically reclaim the word father. Yeah. Um. So I I don't have a for myself, I just I, I spent some time this week uh, wondering how it might change uh, uh, my heart towards God if I referred to Him as Father when I prayed. Um, and you right had this idea that um, that it was almost revolutionary to call God Father, not just intimate, but revolutionary because one of the first places that um, that God refers to uh, his people as a son is when uh, he says to Moses in, um, in Exodus, he says, Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. Um, for, the, for the Jewish people, the Exodus is like what um, Easter is for us. Right, still to this day, the Exodus is their, their, their. You know, when God saved them from, from uh, slavery, and they were they they um, when they celebrate the Passover, they um, they look at all the different parts of the Exodus in their lives today and how they can be freed from slavery through God. Things like so. The Exodus, the Exodus is a huge hope for them, and um, there's an Advent hope. So Andy Wright thought that maybe. Jesus was even uh, being rather revolutionary in saying Father almost to uh, connect with the uh, Jewish people's uh, hope for the advent, hope for freedom, hope for that the kingdom would come, that Yahweh would come back to Zion, like connecting to this Exodus hope by uh, referring to God as Father as God referred to them as their son um, through Moses. All right, your kingdom come. The only note I took on this from N.C. Wright is that uh, it rules out any idea that the kingdom of God is purely heavenly or otherworldly reality. I think we've all been steeped in church enough now that we, we that we've got this idea that definitely God meant that the kingdom was coming here and that He was planting the seeds and the yeast was starting to work. You know, the first advent brought the kingdom, and the second advent will bring the fulfillment. Um, 
But definitely when I was a child, if someone asked me what the kingdom of God was, I would have said, I guess heaven. You know? um, I don't know if any of you guys think of it that way. I mean, do any of you guys have trouble with this idea that the kingdom of God uh, is here? I think definitely, at least in the, the culture when I was younger, I don't know if it was necessarily like specifically my church or just like other youth groups I went to or stuff, but it was like like back when like the Left Behind series was really big, it was almost like this understanding that well we're kind of just biding our time here and trying to sin as much as possible until we can make our escape. And, you know, get out of here. Did you say as much as possible or a little as possible? Or, well. <laughs> 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 Sorry, Steve. So, yeah, it's like the idea that, that we're, we're, everything here is just temporary and not to worry too much about it. And I, I think that idea is still really very prominent in the American church like the way that they think about environmental matters or like systemic things. It's all about just personal sin. Sin as little as possible yourself and don't worry about any of these other systemic things because the world's all going to hell anyway and we're getting out. So I think that's, that's kind of like a really common attitude. Yeah. I think um, for me, there's a, a there's a lot of tension or a lot of easy confusion between living in the period between Jesus's first coming and his second coming. Like this tension between Advent and Advent, where you know the the seeds of the new kingdom were sown, but it's not to its fulfillment yet, right? It's not all there, and so I think that concept that's really a difficult uh, can be a difficult place mentally to find yourself in and to defend and to understand. It's easy to just think we're just treading water and biding our time so we can go to heaven, right? That's a, that's a simpler concept to take and one that is easy to jump onto, but not the truth. Let's see. It says, when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it was in one sense that his own mission would be successful. This is this this is just an interest, interesting perspective, I think, that N.T. Wright has that um, Jesus was really speaking a lot about his own purpose and mission in that in that time when he taught them while he was on earth, that it would be successful. What do you have in mind when you pray for God's kingdom to come? As a little kid, I, I, I would have not really known what to think, but I, I would have assumed it had something to do with the end, end times. I'm sure I, I'm sure that's what I thought. Um, but now I see it very differently as you know God just um, helping us to uh, show His love and His beauty 
and his kindness and all of that, you know, in a world that is hurting. Um, you know, that's his kingdom coming. So. Yeah, my understanding is it's definitely evolved uh, through my my spiritual journey. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Actually, let's see. What is my next one? Okay. I am... I've read this series of books to the kids um, called The Green Ember. And uh, and your kids are probably old enough for them. It's a fantastic series. It's kind of in the same, uh, sort of the same genre as, uh, not really same genre, but same sort of spirit as C.S. Lewis's uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that there's, there's a lot of, you can draw a lot of similarities or a lot of connections with scripture into the story, into the themes. And in this, in the green ember, it's all, it's like a, it's an animal world, and it's mostly based around the rabbit community. And the rabbit community had a great king who had brought um, peace and prosperity, but the, uh, but the predators had killed him and uh, had burned their, their city. And they're in exile and hiding from the wolves and the raptors or the predators who um, who are after them, and they have this little community in uh, in what they call Cloud Mountain that's hidden, and they call themselves uh, Heralds of the New Wood, and that's what they're looking for, is, is this new wood, and in this community, they live as if the uh, the, um, the, uh, the heir to the throne, the, basically the, uh, the son of King Jupiter, has risen back and is in power again, and so uh, they live as if that has already happened. And so they have this uh, utopian community, basically, living as if their king was already back on the throne. And I think about that sometimes. I, it, it's a really incredible story. There's a lot of violence, but um, uh, the kids love it. It's, it's, like, it's like one chapter that's chill and then one chapter that's like battle, 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 one chapter that's chill. So, but um, it's, a, it's an incredible story, and, um, and I think about that sometimes it, in when I think about the church of God and, the, and growing the kingdom here to live as if, as if God's reign was already uh, complete on earth. And that's kind of our call to be the kingdom. Um, when we pray for his will to be done on earth, it is in, in heaven. You can have kind of like two sort of ideas. You can be thinking about the future, like the rapture, the, the coming of, of Jesus, the second advent, the reconciliation of the world, and sort of this idea, you know, this hope that we have that heaven and earth will be married at last, and that all evil will be rooted out, and that God will reign, he will be all in all. But then we also have this, uh, this prayer can also be, you know, for here and now, bringing the, uh, his God's will to be done. This is, and she writes words, he said, for the church now to be the be kingdom bearers, Healed healers, a retuned orchestra to play the kingdom song, to be light in the darkness, to love. Give us this day our daily bread. In Matthew, this the translation uh, is give us today our bread for tomorrow, actually. 
when it's translated uh, real literally. And Luke's is give us each day our daily bread. So there's, there's uh, some difference in uh, interpretation of what Jesus meant here. When you ask uh, the Father for daily bread, what is it you believe you're asking for? Wheat. <laughs> Wheat. <laughs> I've thought about that with people with like gluten allergies. <laughs> What's this permeating to them? <laughs> I think when I think of that, I think of focus and purpose and. Um, the word like staying on track to me the daily bread is keeping me where I'm supposed to be going forward that's interesting I think that's a unique perspective <laughs> is that your way of saying I'm weird <laughs> no no I just <laughs> she said for her it's like um like her daily uh, focus keeping her on track like today let me let me be in the right path kind of right, thing. Right, and do what my purpose is. Like, don't get off track of what I should be doing. Okay. I think I just simply think I'm praying for, like, the necessities that it takes to make me a, a live human. Like, I need food, I need water. I need food. Like, that's just always been my understanding of it. Yeah, me too. And so when I... When I started looking into this and realizing there were a lot of different broad ideas about this, I was like, wow, I've always thought, like, can I have food in it? Yeah. <laughs> in a real simplistic way. And sometimes it's kind of convicted because I'm really a very picky eater and I like very specific food. And the idea of, like, just eating bread is awful. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, uh, for me, it was almost, uh, this part has been like, uh, to humble my my desires for for fancy food, but a lot of people think like when Jesus talked about sustenance, he he understood people needed to eat, but he also talked about uh, living water or you know the true bread of life. Like, sure, I understand you need food, but what you really need is God. And so many people, I read this to be like, give me each day my purpose give me the uh, give me the living water has anybody besides still <laughs> thought of it that way and, and, and you were saying a lot of, like there's some perspective that this is very much a prayer for people who are poor and it would just be really very much focused on sustenance I, I think you asked about the part of the I think as Americans, that's the part of the prayer that we hear simply out of I mean, look, we're, 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 we're not lacking on food here. You know, and the people back then were, I mean, they... they had there, there are places where food is scarce. I, I know, but I, I mean, but it, it, it's, can you be fine with food? Yeah. Because you know? um, back then, people hoarded it all nowadays, they want stuff now too, but... Um, but our country set up pretty good where you can you can find something to survive. And back then it was like a goal of the mountain for survival. And I know I think for me when I when I think thank God for my food, it's, it's kinda like I better say 
I'm unthankful, you know, if I can have it as opposed to be like really grateful that I have it. And he right went into a, a, a small kind of side thing talking about a lot of times when we come to God in prayer, it's because we need something. And we get right to the give, give me our daily bread, you know, in the give me the desires that I need or give me the thing that I need. Um, and, and Jesus, uh, you know, taught us to come to God with our needs um, and desires. Uh, and he also, um, he talked about how um, we can sometimes get into this idea that, like, we don't really want God to know our desires because we kind of inherently think that they're selfish or uh, that we shouldn't be asking for this stuff because we're already so blessed. Um, he encouraged uh, to uh, allow God to, to speak to God about your desires and in prayer, in like, you know, that connection with the Spirit, God can align your desires with His will and with His purposes for you in the kingdom. So not to try to hide your desires from God. It was sort of a side step that he took on this daily bread uh, clause of the prayer that I thought was interesting. Because I think a lot of times I don't pray for things because I feel like I'm already so outrageously blessed that it's um, outrageous for me to ask for anything. Um, and, and, and I think that's in the same spirit of me um, not calling God Father comfortably in that I just... Uh, fail to have um, the intimacy that Jesus invites us to have. Well, that's, I already said that. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Does anyone say this line differently when you say the Lord's Prayer? This is how I was taught it. I wrote it the way I was taught it. So it, it could be forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You, know, you always know when you got a mixed crowd when you say the Lord's Prayer together like at family dinner and there's like the all the muddled sections. <laughs> I didn't get into studying really up on why they're translated differently. I think uh, Luke and Matthew's words are different words um, for this. Um, Luke's was translated sins and Matthew's translated in this Bible uh Debts, and then I wrote, I learned trespasses and trespasses and trespass. Um, one thing that the Catholic Church does do well is it gives a moment in the Mass for everyone to reflect on their sins and ask for forgiveness. I recognize in my own prayer life, uh, at least recently, um, I don't think I do this very well. Like, I will freely recognize that I am a sinner, but really going to God and confessing sins and asking for forgiveness is not something that I do on a, on a regular basis. I don't know how you guys... I know, Actually, you know, I was growing Catholic, but I never went to confession. Uh, our, our little um, uh, church only had... We shared a... Uh, we shared a priest with another church, and so he wasn't there very often. We basically got him for an hour on Sunday. So there wasn't really time for confession. But um, is, uh, yeah, what do you guys think of this section of the prayer?
Yeah, I think Jesus it was big, you know, it's like to live the kingdom, you have to live forgiveness. The Here I talked about uh, the parable of the prodigal son a lot. And a lot of the parables are about like the master going away and the master coming back, right? Or or the prodigal son going away and coming back and being received and celebrated over. And the, the theme of the shepherd, uh, Jesus being a shepherd and finding the last sheep, a lot of this, uh, just a forgiveness Thing. Like to, to live the kingdom is to live forgiveness. Um, I was reading something that talked about culturally, we live tolerance more than we live forgiveness. That we're kind of taught that in, 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 a, in a way that maybe we don't even realize that when somebody sins against you, you kind of just tolerate it and tolerance is different from forgiveness and that intolerance um you recognize that what they did is an offense against you but you're just like whatever but but that whatever kind of feeling is is still holding maybe unconsciously your condemnation of their behavior towards you whereas forgiveness is freedom it is freeing them from uh, your condemnation, right? Do you guys see this this difference? Would you agree that maybe we live a, a, a culture of tolerance more than forgiveness? I think in difficult relationships, family relationships, oftentimes I've fallen into the tolerance because you have to forgive so often <laughs> that you uh, it gets muddled to the point that you you fall into tolerance more rather than acting active forgiveness yes Amy? i think uh, uh trust has to do a lot with the difference because uh if you are if you are forgiving then uh you are healing to the point where you are going to not only uh, uh accept them again but you're going to try again to the point where you trust them tolerance is you're just doing a workaround with your lack of trust of them. Yeah, when you're tolerating, you're kind of keeping up a barrier for reconciliation. And it's not to say that forgiveness always ends in reconciliation. Sometimes that's not even possible or healthy. But it does free them and free you. Right? All right. What's, how am I doing on time? And T. Wright says, it is our birthright as the followers of Jesus to breathe in true divine forgiveness day by day as the cool, clean, spiritual air of our lung, our lungs need instead of the grimy, germ-laden air that has prompted us from all sides. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This one, I feel like could have a whole Sunday definitely taught on because there is a lot there that I never really thought about. In a lot of different ways, this is interpreted. Um, Why is it but? It seems like it should be and. 
You know what? I wrote this from like memory. It probably is and. Oh. <laughs> Let me look. Let's look in Matthew and see if it's but or and. Now this one says but. You see what I'm saying? It's kind of funny. I, and I, it's not in two I want both. But <laughs> deliver a friend of evil. So uh, the Pope, Pope John Paul, I think he he talked about the prayer needing some uh, some polishing up because he said uh, God does not lead us into temptation. Um, but. N.T. Wright took this in a way I'd never taken it, and that, that this was this was truly Jesus's prayer. And Jesus came into the world with a death sentence, and he knew that he was going to um, be consumed by evil, that, that he was going to die, and that he knew that that was where his, that was the end of, his, of, of part of his mission, or that is at least where his mission was leading him. And uh, that, that the word temptation doesn't, uh, it means, it means testing or tribulation. More, more better than temptation. So, and lead us not into the tribulation or the testing, but deliver us from evil. He had an interesting perspective where he was like, this was Jesus's prayer. He knew where he was going, and he knew the disciples were really close to him. And he almost wanted, he, he, he kicked around the thought that was Jesus truly wanting his disciples to pray this because he knew where, where they were headed? But he didn't want his close disciples to be sucked up in like into the in into Calvary with him, basically. I don't know. I thought it was an interesting idea. Um, what have you guys thought when you when you uh, when you pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? I've always wondered what the difference is between the two. The way it's worded, it, it seems like they are different, but. I don't know. I would, especially if you say that it's not about trivial sin, it's more about testing. Because I would, I would assume that testing is, could be called evil in like our daily lives. So I guess it's just kind of confusing why those are separate. Or like Quinn said, like why you would want one and not the other. Because to me, the temptation is about things that are within our control. We're being tempted, but we have the ability. But there's evil that's beyond our control. And so I, that's kind of where I saw the, the difference, and I want both. So. Yeah, I think I think I think I thought about it, you know, in more of a trivial way. You know, just the daily things that kind of tempt me away from uh, from you know, walking in step with Jesus and walking in step with my faith and my hope, um, and that it, it was evil forces that sort of draw me into that, you know. This has been my perspective. Um, but we also understand, uh, let's see, we also understand that, like, Jesus conquered, uh, you know, he, he, they said he, you know, he, he conquered sin and death, and he he is our salvation, and evil doesn't have the same grip on us that it had, or it can't. It can't take away our uh, our eternal life um, because of Jesus. So I guess sometimes I feel like he already did that, right? 
I sort of pray it now is is to almost to to ignore the fact that that the battle's already been won. He talked about uh, people's perspectives of evil in three camps. This is empty, right? Um, and he doesn't. None of these camps are good, basically. He said he sees three camps in people when it comes to thinking about evil, and some of it's just like head in the sand, denial. Things just really aren't that bad. Evil's not really that um, much around us. He, he talks about being in like this. This perspective is like being in a burning house um, and saying, "Oh, it's not too hot. I'll take off a sweater and I'll drink a cold glass of water." Um, another camp is to wallow in it and just see it everywhere, like a demon behind every bush and evil in every in everything about culture and about the earth and about our lives. Um, and to let, you know, that wallowing, to let its presence have power over you. And another camp is to kind of uh, take a self-righteous stance um, of being a, a holy one, unpolluted by evil. Um, you don't really talk that much about the good camp to be in, basically. That, that the right perspective is to recognize there is evil and to know that... Uh, that, uh, that God is more powerful and Jesus has, uh, you know, has paid the price for us so that we are not condemned by it. Anybody got any perspective on this? You feel like you easily fall into one of these camps? I probably fall in the first camp. <laughs> I think this summer has been a lot of falling in the second one. <laughs> True. I think just that deliver us from evil when you were saying but he's already done that it's like there's two sides of that is like an ongoing same thing as when we say uh, save us it's like well we've been saved but we still need to be keep saying keep being saved all the time like it's it's two they're both it's you have been saved ultimately but you also need every day to ask for forgiveness you know so to me the, the evil is that way when you say deliver us from evil, it's like, you know it's ultimately happened, but deliver me from the evil this moment right here, and it's ongoing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, and then it just makes me think of this, like, this this perspective I've recently come to, this, this understanding, the tension of living in the age between Advent. Right. I try not to be the self-righteous one, um, because what I ended up learning is that you feel you're unpolluted by evil, but it turn, turns out when you do, you take the, the evil that's in you and you say it's holy because you're your most holy one. So, that's a, um, a lot of Christians are very hateful towards certain people just because they feel that there's self righteous in their hate. Yeah, but, yeah, but, they, but, yeah. but they, they take it that evil, which, which God said hate is evil, and they mm-hmm. hate it. Right to vindication. That's what mm-hmm. I call it. <laughs> and I, I, I yeah. freely admit, at one time, I was, I was that guy. What you're saying? I try not to do that yet. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. Did anybody ever notice that this is not actually the words of Jesus? This isn't part of the prayer that he gave. This is a doxology added on to the end. And the doxo- a doxology is like a, 
it's like a it's like a praising thing, uh, a praising of God that that culturally or in there in the you know the Israelites history a lot of, a lot of the Psalms of David and the doxologies. It was just kind of what they did, and so uh, this has been added on to the ending. Um, Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, now and forever. I thought it was interesting this book that I listened to. Um, he didn't talk about this, but I knew it wasn't in the scripture, so I had to dig around for it. Because he, he, he had a whole chapter on this, just like he had a chapter on all the other clauses. Um, and so it's easy to uh, not realize that this was something he was taught. But you needed to get to the crescendo. <laughs> so, kind of like, you, can't, you can't get there without it. So. You can't get to the amen without right. it? Yeah. Disappointed when I realized that this wasn't Jesus' words because this is my favorite part of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Dang it. Jesus said this. <laughs> Somebody just felt like it needed a little more pizzazz at the end, didn't they? <laughs> and we like it, so we keep it. Now, some some uh, some Bibles don't have it uh, in there; they they drop it out. Some like some did for a while, and then translations took it off because it wasn't. Uh, you can find a whole mix, but we typically say it. Um, when when Jesus was um, born, Augustus Caesar was like 60 years old. His empire was huge. It was powerful. It was pretty peaceful, but had been bought at a price, obviously, the way empires, the way peace is bought in empires um, through bloodshed. And so, um, and, and so uh, a lot of people see it as just recognizing the new kingdom and the new power and a different kind of glory. And, and they really like having it on the end. And so there's nothing wrong with it on the end. It's just good to know that it wasn't Jesus' words. And G. Wright says, Augustus's empire is like a well-lit room at night. The lanterns lit and casting pretty patterns around the room, but they haven't defeated the darkness outside. The kingdom of God is like a morning star rising signaling that it's time to blow out the candles and throw open the curtains and welcome the new day that is dawning. Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. I like that N.T. Wright finished off his little spiel here with a little doxology as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. Amen. That's the end of it. Let's see what time it is. It's good. We have time for communion. Um, I think it is fitting to uh, say the Lord's Prayer together before communion. Uh, we'll use, let's see, I don't care what we use. We'll use, uh, what's that? You didn't have it on there. Like, the whole thing? <laughs> Just, <laughs> <laughs> we'll use trespasses and trespasses, or trespasses and trespasses, and uh, what's the other thing that can be different? You know, Ben took a long time because we say, uh, we say, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Ben's family says forever and forever. We say forever. And I would, and and this says a little bit about our marriage. I just would not give in. And so we just muddled over each other. He would say, he would say forever and I'd say now for years and years. And he... Uh. When you get to that part, do you say it louder? So you say it oh, yeah, now and forever. <laughs> so what do your kids say? That's the question. They, oh, well, I taught them how to say it. Uh. <laughs> the right way, of course. The teacher gets the speech. <laughs> All right. 
Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, now and forever. communion out. All right. You are invited into communion. Whoop. Sorry, not my thing there. Um, on the last supper, Jesus uh, took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which will be broken for you. And he passed the cup and he said, this is my blood that will be spilled for you. And he asked us to do this in memory of him. Amen.